Welcome to The Weekly Discourse. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Bryce Bigham, Director of Media and Communications at Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. We're on the Man of God Network, which is a podcasting ministry of Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. The Man of God Network exists to help the church in her mission to identify and equip qualified, faithful men for the gospel ministry. It's our goal to provide you with resources that both encourage you and edify you as you seek to build Christ Church where you are, to the end that He is better known, loved, and exalted. Many of you are listening and sharing the shows on the network, Confessing the Faith, uh, Particular Pilgrims, and Sermon Select. Thanks for that. Uh, If you have enjoyed them, please consider leaving us a good review on iTunes or the podcast app that you use so that others can benefit from these podcasts as well. Today on the show, we're going to listen in on a talk from Dr. Chris Holmes on the subject of the preaching of Benjamin Keach, uh, which we heard just a couple weeks ago at the modular course on the life and theology of Benjamin Keach, and we'll bring you more on that in a moment. But first, uh, this is brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. CBTS is a confessional Reformed Baptist seminary providing affordable online theological education to help the church in its calling to train faithful men for the gospel ministry. In addition to being confessional and affordable, we also believe theological education should be accessible. There are many churches with men who have to leave the church to train for the ministry, and so many of them never come back. Well, now it is possible to complete a seminary education while staying in your own church being mentored by your own pastor. So, pastors, if you have a gifted man in your congregation and would like him to receive a theological education while remaining in your church, consider CBTS. For more information on how you can receive informed scholarship with Pastoral Heart, check out our website, cbtseminary.org. Have you ever wondered what kind of preaching could have regularly drawn crowds of people at 7 a.m. in the morning? In this week's discourse, we hear from Dr. Chris Holmes on the preaching of Benjamin Keach in the 17th century. If you didn't know, Keach was the first of a string of powerful preachers to fill the pulpit of his church. Um, John Gill and Charles Spurgeon would follow Keach as pastor of that church. What, so what was his preaching like? Uh, let's turn our attention now uh, to Dr. Chris Holmes on the subject of the preaching of Benjamin Keach. All right, let's begin lecture three, and let's continue to, to think about the, the influence and the ability of preaching to, to reach uh, just a huge percentage of the population in England. We were just talking about uh, how preachers were often you know, followed, and certainly their sermons were very desirable commodities. And people sometimes were even willing to break the law in order to, to get them for their own consumption, to be able to read them, to be able to have them at their access whenever they wanted them. So thinking specifically about Puritan preaching, the influence of Puritan preaching produced results that those who supported it neither anticipated nor intended. This, this gospel of individual liberty that had been proclaimed so powerfully in that era gave birth to a new independence of thought and action that profoundly influenced virtually all aspects of English society, not just the religious facets, but everything. 
William Shepard illustrates the preaching of that day, and he says that it was not an aimless event. It was often very focused and, and specific. In that, he says, in that remarkable and volatile era, preaching was taken just as seriously as any other occupation. Here's what Shepard says. He says, the audiences of the 17th century were not jaded by the week's work or distracted by worldly concerns. There was no Sunday supplement to dull the edge of the morning. They must have been intellectually alert and inured to hard thinking, or they could not have tolerated the close and labored dialectic of well-known preachers like Spratt and Stillingfleet. That seems difficult reading even today. These men threw no sop to the idly curious. They made no attempt to tickle the ears of the groundlings. They stooped to no meretricious forms of advertising. Week after week, they delivered their massive sermons, any one of which would make a book. In our degenerate days, as solid and foursquare as hewn out of granite, the monumental patience of 17th century audiences was not limited to the Puritans of New England. In book form, the sermons of the London preachers sold more widely than any other form of literature of their time. So what Shepard's getting at, of course, is that people were just absolutely consumed with listening to sermons, with listening to preaching. And we know that many of those who are recognized as some of the, 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 the most accomplished and the most gifted uh, preachers of that time, nevertheless, what they preached, the substance of what they delivered, either from their pulpits or wherever their, their uh, preaching happened to be taking place, was, was not only voluminous, huge in, in, the, in the amount they were sharing, but there were many times that what they were sharing was just a, almost oppressive in terms of, of its theological weight and significance. So, so many preachers were, were not you know, simply taking into account their audience in some cases, but they were uh, saying some things that were very theologically deep, and, and they were preaching uh, for very long periods of time. And yet what was true? What was true is, is that people very often were able to stay with them. Uh, people very often were, were able to, some way, somehow, they were able to continue to pay attention, even though a lot of what was being delivered to them was sometimes very meaty and substantial, uh, sometimes even overpowering in, in, its, in its magnitude. But nevertheless, they were very long-suffering in that way. And so even, even sermons that contained information that was not otherwise very accessible, they still were glad to get it and were willing to, to listen to it, analyze it. Political prejudice, religious enthusiasm, and the necessity of meeting the needs of the moment influenced sermon content. The prevailing tone of these sermons could often be gloomy and censorious. In other words, many times these sermons that, that were so, so massive, so significant, sometimes they didn't always come across as positive and uplifting and encouraging and, and sermons that would motivate you. Uh, to, to do some particular application, but sometimes they could be almost negative. There was just so much there, so much to have to work through. Baptist preaching emerged on the heels of the turbulent 16th century. We know a lot happened in the 17th century, but sure, that was not only true of the 17th century, a lot happened in the century prior to it as well, when the Reformation shook the Christian world. The particular context of 17th century England presented peculiar religious and political concerns. And the earliest Baptist preachers shaped their sermons to fit this context and to reflect the Reformed religious mindset. By the way, that comes from Thomas McKibbins, who wrote, I think, a helpful volume on Baptist preaching, one of, frankly, very few volumes on Baptist preaching that exist. 
so again, if you're looking for something to write on someday, if, if you're a writer, if you're looking for something to really sink your teeth into, write something on Baptist preaching. Uh, there's not a lot of, of books out there on that subject that are, that are current or new or available. So, so that's, that's something you might consider as well. Now, there were two printed works in particular that profoundly influenced preaching in 17th century England. One work, I've already mentioned it, that exemplifies the shift uh, from the blend of classical and medieval theories to the first stages of a uniquely Puritan preaching theory is William Perkins' classic work, The Art of Prophesying. It was printed in Latin in 1592 and not translated into English until 1606. The other of these two printed works of significance is John Wilkins' work, Ecclesiastes, that came out a little bit later in 1646. It's probably the most comprehensive 17th century pre uh, preaching treatise. Wilkins' book, Ecclesiastes, enjoyed, enjoyed a very long-term popularity and numerous subsequent editions. It was a most systematic treatment that, more fully than any other Renaissance work, expresses the rules for the art of preaching in terms of a truly rhetorical theory, in other words, communication theory. No clear evidence exists to indicate whether Keach consulted either of these works as he learned to prepare and deliver sermons in his home county of Buckinghamshire, though both would have been available to him. You know, it's interesting, and, but not really surprising, that with all of the interest that abounded in that day and time in preaching, and with all of the, the public's desire to consume and, and to take in all these sermons, the, the enterprising uh, theologians and others of that day, they thought, well, what, what can we put in print that's going to help foster this? If, if, this is, if this is a wonderful way to, to get people involved, to get their attention, and yeah, sometimes true, they were motivated by getting their money, then, then they, many of them were thinking, well, what are something we can do to help foster and promote the act of preaching? And so what you find in the 17th century are a number of treatises like The Art of Prophesying, which of course is, is really not, not really all that long. It's not a huge publication at all, but it's a very helpful one. Many of you have studied it and read it, I, read it, I suspect. And so it's a great um, work that provides just that basic Puritan model of preaching. And yet there are others that came out in that era too that, that gave other uh, emphases and provided other specifics like Wilkins's Ecclesiastes. There were others uh, in that era, uh, such as... Uh, William Chapel's The Preacher, or Art and Method of Preaching, came out in 1656. Joseph Glanville's An Essay Concerning Preaching, 1678. And James Ardern's Directions Concerning the Manner and Style of Sermons, in 1671. So a lot of different preaching treatises come out giving instruction on how to make sermons, how to prepare them, how to deliver them, all those sorts of things. Not unlike what we find in bookstores today. Uh, there, there are lots of books on sermon preparation, sermon delivery, how to connect with your congregations, and so forth for, for, you know, for people who are trying to do the work of preaching. And so those sorts of things abound. Those sorts of things are uh, very available to us today, even as they were in the 17th century for people who were preaching then. <clears throat> Clearly, the central decades of the 17th century in England were very influential, <clears throat> not only upon Keach, but also upon the entire nation. We've said that. As religious toleration came to the forefront and as changes occurred in the country's leadership, Keach tasted the freedom to practice his faith in a free state, which is a principle, of course, that's foundational to us Baptists. He perceived that such liberty merited personal sacrifice, and from the time of the Restoration forward, again from... Uh, 
Yeah, I'm sorry, for the time of the restoration, for we teach, preach with great passion and power, proclaiming the gospel of Christ, the true nature of justification, and proper candidates for baptism, as well as several other important doctrines. Uh, Keach certainly affirmed the Puritan plain style sermon format that was uh, foundational in uh, The Art of Prophesying by William Perkins. In fact, Keach said in his sermon series, The Display of Glorious Grace, which by the way is my favorite, uh, he said, I am not for the airy and florid orations in the ministration of the Word of God, but for that plain way of preaching used by the holy apostles and our worthy modern divines. So Keech was certainly very concerned uh, that the pre preaching not be overcomplicated. It can be, he knew it could be done very simply. It did not have to be done with, uh, with such excesses that frankly were distracting from the substance of the sermon. And so he was very much uh, in favor of the Puritan plain style format that had been first put forth most clearly in uh, Perkins's Art of Prophesying. So, um, likely Keach might not have preached at all had, had things not been you know, so wonderfully arranged for him, as it were, in terms of his, his, when he was born and, and the circumstances surrounding his birth and development, all those things, as I've already said. You know, so much of, of what Keech, I think, was ultimately able to do was, was made possible by the time and circumstances when he emerged in the world and, and, and then for his upbringing and up-and-coming development. So let's think about Keech's preaching specifically. We've talked about it in general terms and sort of giving prelude to that. Let's think specifically about Keech's preaching. First of all, let's think about the fact that for him, Scripture was everything. Scripture was absolutely everything. Keech knew of nothing else to preach but the Word of God. Weber has described his sermons, and again, that's Frederick Weber, who has a three-volume uh, series on preaching and preaching history. Weber's described his sermons as clear, argumentative, meaning they put forth an argument, not that they're trying to create an argument, uh, that they're allegorical at times, even enriched by many proof texts. He notes, Weber notes, that in simple and clear language, Keech defends the inspiration of the Scriptures. In this respect, Keech is superior to his famous contemporaries. While they resort to logic or an appeal to the intellect, Keech lets the Scriptures bear witness. Again, that's a very significant uh, distinction that, that Weber brings out here. Uh, again, there were all sorts of preachers in the 17th century, all sorts of preachers in England in that era, in that time. Uh, preaching lots of sermons. And again, they were a huge commodity. They were highly in demand. People really wanted to get hold of them, read them from themselves, and have them in their home so they could read them and read them and read them again, especially those that they liked. And, and so with, with such, a, such an environment about preaching, it's remarkable that, that Keech, frankly, didn't care about all of these other things that his sermons could have contained or that they could have included or that they might have addressed. No, Keech was simply interested only in what the Bible had to say. Austin Walker writes about Keech's preaching. He says, Faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ was Keech's controlling principle as he constantly engaged in the task of being an overseer in the church of Christ. He understood this to mean that he was called to preach the Word of God so that people would be converted and to see, oversee the life of the church and build it by the rule that Christ had left in the Word. Preaching was his life's work, a calling he'd received from God and in which he had first engaged in 1658, three years after being converted as a young man. Keech preached wherever he had opportunity, even if it meant suffering as a consequence because preaching 
for Keach was God's own ordinance. That's what Keach wrote. That's, that's what he, he called it. He knew that it was God's own means of conveying the truth of the Scriptures and the truth of the Gospel. He knew that even though in the minds of, of ordinary people, in, in, in human beings, it might seem foolish or not powerful enough or not sharp enough or accomplishing, able to accomplish enough, it didn't matter to Keach because Keech, for Keach, preaching was absolutely everything. As the pastor of the congregation at Horse Lie Down for over three decades, about 35 years, Keach was well acquainted with that biblical role. He knew that one of the main responsibilities of pastors was the faithful preaching of the Scriptures. In his excellent work on church structure and polity, a work that he entitled The Glory of a True Church and Its Discipline Displayed, Keach offered the following instructions for the pastors of churches. Before I read from that, uh, if you can't find it online easily, you may have the, the book that Nine Marks and Mark Dever put out some years ago, Polity. Uh, the, the entire text of The Glory of a True Church is in Polity. It's in there if you have that and want to read it at some point. And so here's what, what Keach wrote in his publication, The Glory of a True Church. He wrote, The work of a pastor is to preach the word of Christ. There you go. Or to feed the flock and to administer all the ordinances of the gospel which belong to his sacred office. And to be faithful and laborious therein studying to show himself approved unto God, a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. He is a steward of the mysteries of God, and therefore ought to be a man of good understanding and experience, being found in the faith, and one that is acquainted with the mysteries of the gospel. Because he is to feed the people with knowledge and understanding, he must be faithful and skillful to declare the mind of God, and diligent therein also to preach in season and out of season. Anytime, right? God having committed unto him the ministry of reconciliation, a most choice and sacred trust, what interest hath God greater in the world which he hath committed unto men than this? Moreover, he must make known the whole counsel of God to the people. Pretty easy to be a pastor, isn't it? Pretty easy to be a preacher based on this description, right? No, Keach knew it was an extremely serious, an extremely sober uh, calling of God to preach and to, to lead in the, in the church and oversee the flock. And of course, the way that you feed and nourish and provide the sustenance the flock needs is through the faithful preaching of the word. And doing so in a way that, as he said in that last sentence I read, includes the whole counsel of God. It is not just simply uh, preaching certain things and, and, and perhaps favorite or familiar texts or passages or topics or doctrines. It is the entire uh, encompassing spectrum of the Word of God that needs to be communicated. One of Keech's uh, most regular publishers was a man by the name of John Dunton. And Dunton acknowledged that Keech was well-received by the common people. Of course, Dunson would be in a position to know that, right? He knew how well Keech's works would sell. He knew how well Keech's works were doing in terms of public consumption. And John Dunton wrote uh, in his um, collected works, he wrote, This warlike author, referring to Keech, is much admired among the Anabaptists, and to do him right, his thoughts are easy, just, and pertinent. He's a popular preacher, and as appears by his awakening sermons, he understands the humor and necessity of his audience. Dunton isn't talking about humor ha-ha of his audience. This is humor O-U-R. This is humor referring to the nature, the, the quality, the characteristics of his, off, uh, of his audience. 
And that's something that we've already touched on is that for Keach, connecting with those who were hearing his message, that was absolutely paramount to him. In fact, we're, we're, we're going to get into it later in more detail, but I'll go ahead and say it now that when we talk about one, one, of, one of Keech's earliest publications, one of his thickest and largest publications is his preaching the types and metaphors of Scripture, uh, originally called his tropologia, his, his study of, of the types and the metaphors that are in the Bible, and, and the philology uh, written by Thomas DeLon was, was part of that too. And uh, for Keech, again, connecting with his audience was just absolutely the, the, one of the most important things that he was doing, uh, other than being faithful to the Scriptures, which, of course, was, was at the very top. Nevertheless, being able to impart his message in a way that his people would not just have in the, in the, in the heat of the moment of his preaching, but then as they went back into their lives for the rest of the week until they saw him again, it would keep resonating in their minds, that those images, those, those means of connection would, would keep firing in their minds. That's what Keach wanted. He wanted them to keep thinking about these things over and over and over again, and he wanted to generate some kind of means or some kind of mechanism by which they would do that. One of the most powerful and potent mechanisms that he used was the metaphor. Uh, the, he used figurative language. He used imagery. He used words uh, that, that people would be able to relate to immediately and, 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 and make connections uh, so that they would understand what he was trying to convey to them from God's Word. That was huge for Keech. And again, it reflected what? It reflected a, a, a pedagogical uh, leaning, in other words, a teaching inclination. You know, we, we've already seen he wanted to teach people. He, one of his first books was a, a book written for children to teach them basics of, of learning. And so that was huge for Keach. But, but when, it, when, when it comes to the, the preaching of sermons, when it comes to the proclamation of the truth in the pulpit, what's he want to do? Same kind of thing. He wants to connect with people. He wants, he wants as it were, the light bulb to go on over top of them. And they want, he wants to be able to see them sort of, aha, I get it, I got it, I understand, I know what you're talking about. That's what he wants to see in his audience. Now, not only did Keach possess strong convictions about what constituted a proper sermon, a proper preaching. But he also believed that the proclamatory ministry of the pastor necessitated him to consider how he would construct his sermons to impress biblical doctrine on his hearers, in essence, what we just said. And here's something that the Keech writes in his Tropologia that, we, that I mentioned just a moment ago. Keech writes, I confess, a little learning and less study may furnish a man with a solid discourse, as may please some weak persons, that judge of a sermon by the loudness of the voice and affectionate sentences, or can fancy themselves to be fed with ashes of jingling words and cadency of terms in discourse. But alas, the seeming warmth of affection that is stirred by such means is as short-lived as a land flood that hath no spring to feed it. He that will do the souls of his people good and approve himself a pastor after God's own heart must feed them with knowledge and understanding and endeavor to maintain a constant zeal and affection in them. In other words, not just for the moment, but ongoing into the week. By informing their judgments and such an opening of the mind of God from the scriptures as may command their consciences. And this is not to be expected but from him that labors in his study as well as in the pulpit. <clears throat> in other words, preaching that does real good usually doesn't just happen. Effort and investment and time and work has to go into sermon preparation. And 
you know, for those of you who may have had any involvement in the preaching courses that I have had connections with, you know, you know that that's absolutely true. Uh, anyone can get up and talk, and, and you can say some very good things, and you can convey some, some very helpful information. But, but over a period of time, that's not going to be enough if, you're, if you intend to fulfill properly what is the calling to preach the whole counsel of God. It's not going to be enough. You have to do more than just that. You have to work. You have to labor. You have to ensure that your people are getting all of the diet of God's Word that He intends for them to receive. I mentioned Thomas McKibbins a moment ago who wrote a volume on Baptist preaching, one of very few that you'll actually find uh, out there today. McKibbins has observed that, quote, Keech's greatest contribution to his denomination is found not in his many controversies and writings, but by his leadership in providing a model for an intelligent and evangelistic preaching ministry. And, and that's exactly right, I think, uh, that <clears throat> Keech was not simply committed to, to preaching sermons that were intellectual, that, that, that were heavy on doctrine. He absolutely did, there's no question about that. But his, his goal was always redemptive, and, and he wanted his people to hear the gospel. He was very warm and evangelical in that sense. Another scholar writes, his entire messages are effervescent with the Bible, almost like they, they just bubble the Bible up as they're preached. One cannot call him an expository preacher, perhaps in the true sense of the word, because he follows an expositional display of knowledge dealing with Scripture bit by bit. It is true, though, that he, follow, uh, excuse me, that he draws fine background material in many cases, apparently from knowing much biblical and oriental history. His messages are quite exhaustive. Well, there are times when that's an understatement, yeah. They're, they're very thorough. They're, they're very, uh, um, yeah, exhaustive. That's the word. And then Austin Walker has one more comment to make here. He says, No estimate of Keech will ever be accurate unless his convictions regarding the Bible are fully understood. Keech was a man of integrity who made it his aim to live by biblical principles. The Bible, as the Word of God, was his supreme authority and guide. His religion was one of sincere obedience to that Word. In fact, and we may have time to include it later, there is an entire essay on Scripture that Keech includes in his book on uh, preaching the types and metaphors of Scripture, his tropologia, an entire essay that he writes on the nature of the Bible. Uh, and it's really helpful, uh, I think, not only to understand his view and his understanding, his position, but, but also to, to realize that it, it, it's, he's including it as a part of his overall uh, means of communication, his, his, uh, his techniques for communicating his sermons. Uh, Austin Walker has said that, that while Keech did not write a systematic theology, specifically. Nevertheless, his tropologia, which, which allows you to, to see how he understands and interprets different biblical images and types, allows you to see how he was thinking theologically, allows you to see and understand how he reasoned and how he associated one thing with something else. And so, in essence, that's sort of a systematic theology that Keech put together. In fact, it's, again, one of his earlier publications, published well before 1690, when, again, he was especially prolific. <clears throat> So let's talk about Keech's exposition and how it was so engaging in nature. Keech was firmly convinced that fervency and zeal should characterize good preaching. So again, while, while each sermon certainly had to have a, what you might call a, a doctrinal or, or an academic or, or a substantive component to it, 
he understood that the, the way in which it was being delivered was also very, very important. It couldn't just be delivered without emotion or delivered without some kind of, of feeling or some kind of sensation. It had to be delivered in a way that would prompt the hearers to take it seriously not, and not to mention to remember it later and, and to keep, continue to engage with it in the future. So Keach often used figurative imagery in his sermons to enrich the sermon content. <clears throat> Keach writes, Ministers should see that what they bring forth must be hot. Cold meat is not so refreshing and sweet as that which is hot. A minister must preach with life and holy fervency of spirit. Cold and lifeless preaching makes cold hearing. The Lord Jesus Christ preached as one having authority and not as the scribes, the Bible says. So, that's, that's what Keach is doing. By the way, what did, Keech, what did Keech do in that little bit that I read from him? He used a metaphor, didn't he? What was it? Meat. Specifically, hot meat. Much better than cold meat. And again, he's not just talking about meat, but he's using it as a means of illustrating how important it is to, to deliver your sermon in, in the right way, with the right kind of spirit, with the right kind of passion, that's going to make it attractive, and someone's going to receive it much more easily uh, than something that's not going to be nearly as attractive or, shall we say, appetizing uh, as cold meat. So that's what he's doing, is, is he's, he's, he's setting up these images in the minds of his hearers that they can relate to, that, that make uh, you know, abundant sense to them, and that they can link to and make connections with in the future. Austin Walker affirms this too. He says, There was a natural manliness about Keach, and while he might not have been endowed with the greatest gifts of language, yeah, I'm sure he's thinking about his hymn text at this point, nevertheless, Keach's sermons were marked by sound biblical teaching. And to use Keach's own metaphor, Walker says, His flock would have gone home satisfied, acknowledging that their preacher had not tried to entertain them with clever words and wit, but rather had fed them with meat. Now, again, we don't have a lot of firsthand accounts of Keech's preaching. We just don't. They're not available to us. It was so long ago, back in the um, late 1600s, in the very earliest of the 17, 1700s. But nevertheless, we do have, uh, again, his, his son-in-law, Thomas Crosby, who can tell us how he preached, what kind of uh, things characterized his preaching style. Crosby writes, He affected or produced no unusual tones, nor indecent gestures in his preaching. I think he says that because he probably had seen plenty of those sorts of things done by other preachers. His style was strong and masculine. He generally used notes, especially in the latter part of his life. And if his sermons had not all the embellishments of language, which some boast of, they had this particular advantage, to be full of solid divinity which is a much better character for pulpit discourses than to say that they're full of pompous eloquence and flights of wit. So again, even son-in-law Thomas Crosby knew what should have characterized the right kind of preaching and makes mention that, that Keach adhered to what was true and trustworthy much more so than many of his contemporaries. One trait of Keach's preaching that is of particular importance, and I've already begun to bring this out a little bit, is his regular use of metaphorical language. Keach was so consumed with the task of preaching that he sought to use every means at his disposal to enhance the ability of his sermons to penetrate the hearts and minds of his hearers. 
so they would not only comprehend Scripture's message, but also be motivated to obey God's commands and apply biblical doctrine to their lives. Keach knew from his Lord's own example in the Gospels that metaphor was an especially powerful tool that could be used for this purpose, and Keach worked to implement them and their ability to prompt understanding within the texts of his sermons. Is it any wonder that Keach, in the latter part of his life, put forth a, a multi-volume uh, edition on sermons about the parables? It shouldn't be surprising at all. If, if there's anything to wonder, it's why didn't he do it sooner? Because uh, right here we see that, that, that he recognized immediately that, that the Lord Jesus taught with parables so often. Again, using terminology easily relatable, easily understandable and accessible to his audience so that, that he would be able to connect with them. Obviously, Jesus is, is, is a teacher and preacher that, that we can't even compare to, but nevertheless, the model that we have in the, in the gospel accounts of the parables was something that, that really resonated with Keach, and Keach sought to, to use that to its fullest extent. Keach was conscious of the importance of preaching, and he was aware that many had perverted the task of proclaiming the Word of God and instead had tra transformed that into a platform for personal promotion. That doesn't happen today, does it? In the prefatory material to his, his 14-sermon collection, Display of Glorious Grace, again, my favorite, Keach offered some pointed reflection on his convictions about preaching and the self-serving efforts of other pulpiteers. Here's what Keach wrote. As I preach not to please men's ears, so but little regard ought to be had to the scoffing reflections of such men who condemn everything of this kind, unless it consists of a fancy-faking modulation of empty rhetoric or a high florid style mixed with wit, learning, and philosophical notions. Sad it is to see that in divine matters, matters, nay, in preaching, persons should affect new modes and fashions. As to the shame of the present generation, they do in respect of garbs and dresses. I read this bit before. I am not for airy and florid orations in the ministration of the Word of God, but for that plain way of preaching used by the holy apostles and our worthy modern divines. Besides, could I so preach or write as is flesh-pleasing, ear-tickling, a la mode of the times, of such who study words more than matter, it would be utterly disliked by all such pious Christians, for whose sake and at whose importunity these sermons are published. The holy apostle, who though profoundly learned, disclaims any rhetorical flourishes or persuasive oratory, but professes that his speech and preaching was not with the enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and with power, 1 Corinthians 2, I may say of some men's orations or elocutions as Plutarch speaks of the nightingale, who was at first taken with his delicate notes, but when he saw him said, Thou art a voice and nothing else. Is that your goal as you preach, if you preach, to be a voice and nothing else? Well, essentially, Keach is saying that, that anyone who goes into the act of preaching with the understanding or with the the paradigm that they're just simply going to, to make their message attractive and easy on the ears. But that's all that they are. That they need substance, they need doctrine, they need scripture as the foundation. Keach was faithful regularly to proclaim the gospel to his people 
and teach them the truths of Scripture without any compromise. Thank you for listening to the Weekly Discourse. If you have been blessed by this week's discourse, please consider subscribing to the Man of God Network so that you can continue to be blessed with resources like these. If you'd like to learn more about Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary, visit us at cbtseminary.org.